Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up Podcast. We are continuing our journey through the prophets, and we have spent the last week and a half or so looking at the prophet Jeremiah. This is another one of the major prophets. We've already covered Isaiah in this reading plan, and now we are looking at Jeremiah. Um, He's given the nickname the Weeping Prophet. Um, and he has a, a lot of lamenting to do over a group of people who will not repent and who continue to invite the judgment of God. And that judgment, of course, being the invasion of Babylon. And so Babylon is the sword of God being enacted is a judgment against the people of the southern kingdom. And so uh, Jeremiah, like Isaiah, is a prophet to the southern kingdom. Jeremiah comes a little later than Isaiah. A lot of Isaiah takes place during the time of the Assyrian threat, and God had promised a message of hope that the Assyrians would not take Israel. And Jeremiah, however, comes with a a new threat. Assyria is no longer an issue. Babylon is the issue. And there's no hope really here unless the people of God completely transform who they are. If they turn from their wicked ways and they stop listening to the false prophets, because there are many false prophets throughout Jeremiah that are promising that just like they avoided the Assyrian threat, they're going to avoid the Babylonian threat. And even when Babylon succeeds and takes a wave of people into exile, the false prophets continue to give them hope and say, you know, this is going to be a year or two, and then we'll be back uh, over in Jerusalem. Uh, So don't worry. And Jeremiah keeps receiving a word from the Lord to confront and combat those claims uh, because they're coming from their own wishful thinking, from dreams, Uh, which is a reminder we can't always trust even our dream world. We don't know that that's from God. And these particular dreams, whether they're real dreams or they're just making them up and calling them dreams, uh, they are not from God. And so Jeremiah has a large task at hand, and he is uh, pretty much alone in this endeavor. There are not many allies to Jeremiah throughout um, this book, which is why he spends his time weeping and lamenting uh, over the future of Jerusalem. And so that's uh, a few things that we can draw out right away. I think it's important for us to draw some distinctions between each of these prophets because it does feel a little redundant if you aren't paying attention to some of the unique nuances of each particular prophet. You look at uh, Isaiah, what he has to say, and then what Jeremiah has to say, Obadiah, and each of these prophets we've read so far, and it almost sounds like a broken record. Repent or you're going to be judged. Repent or you're going to be judged. And that is the basic thrust of the prophets. Um, So yes, it is redundant in that sense. Um, which should remind us all the more of how strong a grasp sin has around Israel, the people of God. Sin has corrupted them so much that even when God sends prophet after prophet after prophet with a message uh, that is the same yet from different vantage points over and over again with different illustrations and images uh, that he's putting in their mind with uh, proof 
of this and the things that are happening around them. God has his finger on the pulse of the nations and what is transpiring across various regions, things that the Israelites are incapable of seeing from their human vantage point, and yet God is always predicting these things with accuracy, and yet they just won't let go of their sin. They continue to be dominated by their sin. They continue to um, go to other gods and to worship uh, the Baals and the Asherahs, and uh, they continue to, in Jeremiah, um, burn their own children uh, as a form of sacrifice to the gods, and it's something that Yahweh never envisioned. It said it never even entered his mind. He never once indicated in any way that they should make such an atrocious sacrifice in his name, and yet they're doing just that. Many of the things that they do are in, quote, unquote, the name of the Lord. And even though they're being, uh, a, 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 being presented as a sacrifice uh, for the Baals and the Asherahs, they still are being tied and tethered to the name of Yahweh. And so God is very displeased with this, and that's why we have so much destruction being predicted for the people of Israel. And another distinction between Jeremiah and some of these other prophets, such as Isaiah, in Isaiah, the prophet was pretty much telling the people to stand their ground saying, don't worry about the Assyrian threat, stand your ground, don't give in to him, don't go form other alliances, just trust in the Lord, and he is going to protect you. When, by the time we get to Jeremiah, we have a different message going on, and Jeremiah's message is more or less surrender to the Babylonians when they come. Those of you that try to stand up and fight, you're going to die. And so if you stay in the city, you're going to die. So leave the city when the Chaldeans come and surrender. Wave the white flag, flag of surrender. And that's actually you obeying God at this point. Uh, so God's message has shifted uh, a little bit because of the circumstances have changed and because the people have now wandered into an even greater level of sinfulness to which God is not going to outright deliver them here, um, but he will protect some of them and he will uh, protect a remnant. Uh, and it's actually the people that are going to be going to Babylon that are the protected ones. It's the ones that remain behind and try to fight and try to uh, defend the temple and Jerusalem that are actually going to be destroyed. And God even sends a message from Jeremiah to the people in exile, the first way, because there were three or four waves of exile that took place. And so Jeremiah sends them a letter saying, you know, have families, build houses, Settle in because you're going to be there for a while, which all of this is focused around um, the timing of Sabbath rest. Jeremiah gives us a great insight into that, especially in chapter 17, because in other prophets, they focus in on some of the abuses of the covenant stipulations that lead them to this captivity and this destruction. But Jeremiah focuses in on many things, but one of them being Sabbath rest. They were commanded to let the land rest every seven years. The seventh year was supposed to set aside that plot of land to rest, to not have anything grown on it. And uh, it was a 
method of trusting in God. God was going to provide for them even if they didn't plant on that seventh year, just like they trusted in God um, when they rested on that seventh day. It was very different from the other cultures around them. Other cultures were not practicing this, and uh, so it was very difficult for them. And since they proved that they don't really trust God, um, they ignore Sabbath rest. They ignore Sabbath keeping. And God holds them accountable for that. That was a part of the agreement when they entered into God's land, that they would let God's land rest on God's timeline. And what they have done is they have stored up over 400 some odd years, 70 years worth of Sabbath rest that needs to be accounted for. And that's why their timing in Babylon is going to equate to roughly 70 years. And after that, they'll be released and they'll come back. But God is going to make sure that his land gets 70 years of rest. And since the people of God wouldn't do it as prescribed, God is going to give the land the rest it deserves uh, all at once here during exile and captivity, which was something God had already told them would happen if they ignored these stipulations of the covenant agreement. Um, and so that's another uniqueness to Jeremiah is his emphasis and focus on Sabbath rest. Um, there's another thing that I think is worth looking at. It's something that uh, I came across in uh, a, an article the other day as I was studying uh, some of Jeremiah. And this particular theme is one that I probably would have missed on my own had I not had some help from outside sources, and so I wanted to pass it on to you. And it's the theme of the cistern, the cistern. Now, a cistern is a well, and wells were dug out as, uh, well, for many purposes, but the most important one is water, because without water, people die. You have to have water in order for a civilization to continue on and thrive. And in Jeremiah 2.13, it says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, God had promised that if they obeyed him, that they would have plenty of water and plenty of food. Those are promises that are embedded in the covenant stipulations into the covenant agreement at Sinai. And Jeremiah plays off of those expectations that could have been theirs had they been righteous uh, by talking about what they've chosen. Instead of living water, instead of having the fountain of provision that would have flown from God Almighty, they have instead chosen their own path. They have hewn out cisterns for themselves, wells they have dug, but they leave them empty. They hold nothing. And so as you go through Jeremiah, you'll find several references to cisterns, and you find out that what they have traded for the living water of God is something quite the opposite. Uh, let's take a look at a few other examples here. Uh, we get to Jeremiah chapter 14, and around verse 3, it says, uh, speaking of Judah, her nobles send their servants for water. They come to the cisterns. They find no water. 
They return with their vessels empty. They are ashamed and confounded and cover their heads. Uh, because of the ground that, that is dismayed, since there is no rain on the land, the farmers are ashamed. They cover their heads. It goes on to describe how awful the conditions, the living conditions have gotten there in the area around Jerusalem because of their covenantal unfaithfulness. And so they're going to cisterns that should have been full of water, and they're finding no water. And the reason is because the people of God have dug their own cisterns. Now, that in Jeremiah 2.13, where it says they dug their own cisterns, he's not talking about actual wells here. He's talking about them going and seeking provision and seeking shelter and seeking prosperity in other gods. They have by their own hands, made gods of stone. They have, by their own intuition and own uh, imagination, crafted gods uh, that aren't Yahweh and served them instead of Yahweh. And this is creating um, for them an actual drought in the land that is drying up the, the literal cisterns. And so they're finding no water there, which is what was promised in that covenant agreement, if you don't honor God, then the land will dry up and you won't have food and you won't have water. And that's what they are experiencing because of idolatry. They are going after their own provisions instead of trusting in God. It's kind of one of the major themes of the prophets, trust in God. You have to trust in God. Whatever he tells you to do, do that because that's trusting in God. Um, Jeremiah 38, 6 is another place where um, the cistern shows up, and it says, So they took Jeremiah, and they cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. Which this means that the walls of the cistern have cracked, and so it can no longer hold water because it has gotten so dry that the outer walls crack, and now uh, any water that would fill them up continues to sink into the ground beneath. And so here Jeremiah is lowered down in it. It's now being used not for living water for them to uh, thrive and, and live off of, but it's now being used as a prison for God's prophet that would bring the only truthfulness that they could actually hear and respond to and get them out of this predicament of drought and uh, provide them once again with the living water of God. But instead, they, they suppress the word of God, the truth of God, of the living God, the living water, and they put him down in the very broken cistern that represents the sinfulness of Judah itself. And so then we get to uh, chapter 41, and this might be the most telling of how bad it's gotten. But in chapter 41 here, we see that uh, there are several occurrences where people are killed and thrown into the cisterns. And by the end of chapter 41, what we have is a well full of dead bodies. And what should have been a thriving community under the lordship of Yahweh with cisterns that never break, never go dry, and continue to provide the people with the water they need for their, for their crops, for their livestock, and for their, their families. 
what we have instead are dried up wells full of dead bodies and rotting corpus, uh, corpses and bones. This could not be more telling of the distinction you get between the way of life and the way of death. Uh, another theme that comes out here in Jeremiah. They could have chosen the way of life, and instead they choose the opposite. When you turn away from God, you choose the way of death. And this is the picture, the mental, visual uh, aid that we have as we reflect on honoring God or turning from God. And it reminds us, what do we want in life? You know, do we want a life full of living water, or do we want a life full of death? and destruction. And obviously the circumstances of our own um, generation and where we live and what we're going through may not result in literal wells filled with bones, but I assure you um, if we turn from God, if we do not put God first and trust in God and honor Him, then in the end when we look back we will see a life of death and destruction. Um, We will be able to accurately interpret all that is transpired in our life, and we can see that we failed to taste of the living water that was good, and we'll fail to see that um, God's hand was upon us, and that we could have had so much more if we had put our trust in Him. And so Jeremiah is a great reminder of that, and uh, so we want to certainly uh, keep that in mind as we continue reading. One other theme that I think is of great importance, and we'll end here, is the idea of circumcision. Uh, circumcision obviously started back in the early Old Testament, back in the Torah with Abraham and uh, his descendants, and it continues to be an important part of um, the Hebrew people. But when you get to Jeremiah, he talks about circumcision a little more than the other prophets do, and he connects it to the heart. It's no longer a circumcision of the foreskin, but a circumcision of the heart that's of a great importance. And so Jeremiah 4, 4 and 9, 25 through 26 are a couple of references that bring out how the people of Judah have sinned against God internally by not circumcising their heart. And this is going to become an important principle for New Testament theology. When you get to the writings of Paul, you'll see that this is equivalent to being born again, uh, to being completely renewed inwardly. And this obviously becomes more wide scale when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost and we have the the Holy Spirit making us alive. But even in the Old Testament context, they were seeking renewal within, not just external circumcision. That did nothing for them. You could be externally circumcised and still be out of God's will and come under the judgment of God. And I would say, to go even further, to end up eternally separated from God. Only through the circumcision of the heart, which is what outward circumcision was supposed to symbolize, um, much like water baptism would symbolize being born again, even though we, um, not everyone that gets dunked under the water has been regenerate, um, been regenerated. And so this correlates, though, the same. There's an outward symbol for an inward reality, but God is saying, listen, Judah, you're all circumcised externally, 
But you're going to die among the uncircumcised people. Judgment is coming upon you because you have not circumcised your hearts. So a reminder to us once again that what's going on inside is more important than what we show external. We'll stop there for today, and we'll pick up next time on the Bible Brush Out Podcast.